Well, good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Um, my name is Josh Wines. I'm a member here at East Shore Baptist Church, and I'm excited for the opportunity to bring you the word this morning. So thank you for being here. Thank you for those online as well. And uh, for, the, for the past uh, few months, our pastor, Pastor John, has been taking us through the gospel of Mark, okay? Through the gospel of Mark, we're looking at specifically who is Jesus? That's the question that we're being confronted with. That's the question that we're trying to answer through this gospel. Who is Jesus? And what does the Bible say about Jesus? What does, more specifically, what does the gospel of Mark tell us about who Jesus is? And today, we're going to be looking at one of the most well-known miracles in all of Scripture, in all the Bible. That's the feeding of the 5,000. And as we look at, at Mark 6, verse 30 through 44, we're going to continue to learn about the person of Jesus, right? Who he is. And we're going to see that, that Jesus cares for our needs, both our physical and our spiritual needs. And this passage also highlights what is our most pressing need, and that's our need for a Savior. And in this passage, Jesus is going to show true compassion by tending to the needs of his followers, the crowd, and also his disciples. So we should recognize that, that Jesus alone is the one who can fully satisfy our needs. He's the only one. And that we should respond by bringing the lost to his feet. So let's turn to Mark 6, verse 30 through 44. That's page number 1001 in your blue Bibles in the seat back in front of you. And if you would, we're also going to stand for the reading to honor God's word. And uh, once you're there, I will read. <clears throat> Page 1001, Mark 6, 30 through 44. Let's read. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place, and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down on, in groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, 
and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, God, that, that you are the one who cares for us. You care for our needs, God. And, um, and God, we thank you also that, that you are a God who, who, who doesn't hide your face from us. You reveal yourself to us in your word. And um, today, God, as we're going through this passage, I, I pray that you will confront us with, with what is our most pressing need, God. And, and I pray, God, that you can lead us to the answer, to the solution through this text. God, show us your son. Show us who you are. Show us your compassion. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so we're going to dive right into it. The first point that um, we're going to see from this text in 30 through 44 is that Jesus cares when we need rest. Jesus cares when we need rest. We see in verse 30, Mark, the author, he says that the apostles, they return to Jesus and they report all that they had done and taught. Now notice that Mark calls them apostles here, okay? Apostles means representative or messenger in this this word. He says this because they had just finished traveling out among all the towns and, and villages as we just went through that, um, Pastor, that last week. Sorry. Um, so, what message did they have? What message were they carrying? Well, this is the same message that that Jesus had when he first began his public ministry. If we look back at chapter one in this gospel, chapter one, verse fifteen, this is Jesus speaking. It says, "The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God." is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So this is the heart of Jesus's message and of his ministry. These are his, the first words that he speaks in the gospel of Mark. And this is already, this verse here, 15, is already conveying a need that we have, okay? That men needed to repent. They needed to turn from their sin and believe in the good news that God had sent his son as a payment for our sins. This is the same message that the disciples or the apostles they have when they are sent out. If we look back at 6.12, Pastor John preached about this last week, says this, they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Now, we don't know how long that they were gone, okay? There's no word from Mark on that. What we do know here is that it did seem to be a successful time of ministry. We have in the very next verse, 13, it says that they cast out demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So it seems like the, the ministry went pretty well. And for the first time in this gospel, the, the, the disciples are actually preaching and performing miracles. And then we see also in verse 30 that they, that they come back to him, they report to him all that they had done and taught. Well, it sounds like they had done and taught a lot, okay? Healings, miracles, exorcisms, things like that. And when they see Jesus again, they can't wait to tell him everything. They can't wait. They're excited. They had this successful time of ministry, and they're, they're, they're ready to get back and, and tell Jesus 
everything that they had done. Well, better yet, they, they had obeyed Jesus' teaching, and they had experienced God's blessing on their ministry. And that reminded me of a time um, at, I used to serve at summer camp in Word of, at Word of Life in, in New York, and um, the whole idea of summer camp was basically to have a good time, right? Show the kids a really good time, and that would hopefully open up opportunities to, to share the gospel, to have meaningful God conversations. And I remember my first couple weeks as a counselor, counseling teenagers, this was so, I was so nervous about sharing the gospel. And I had never really done that before. And I just remember that it took me maybe three or four weeks to actually have, to actually sit down with a teenager and, and share about my faith and, and have a God conversation. I'm not sure if, if that boy got saved or anything, um, but I do remember the feeling of joy that I had walking away from that conversation, just knowing that I had obeyed uh, what, what God was challenging me to do, and that it wasn't, wasn't that hard. Uh, it, it felt good to accomplish what God was challenging me to do. And for each one of us here, um, there's joy in obedience to what God is calling you to do. There's joy there. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And so for the disciples, I expect that they were, they were even happier to hear Jesus say in verse 31 than, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest. Man, this is, this is great. We had this awesome time of ministry. People were healed. Lives were changed. Men repented. We were out for a while. Now, now we get to spend alone time with Jesus. This couldn't be better. Now Jesus is inviting us to, 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 to get away, separate ourselves. And Mark adds a little note here at the end of verse 31. He says, For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. They were excited, but Jesus saw that they needed a break. They were tired. And Jesus shows real intuition and care as a leader here in that it's not always only about the mission. Not always only about the mission. It's not always only about the job. People need to rest. We need rest. It's vital. Sometimes we do need to step away. And Jesus knows them. He knows the disciples. He knows their needs. And they had a busy and successful time of ministry, but now was the time to step away, time to rest. I want you to notice also the emphasis of Mark in verse 31 and 32. Twice he repeats the words desolate and by yourselves or by themselves. He repeats those words twice. Desolate here, this means secluded, a place not seen or visited by many. It can refer to a wilderness or simply an uninhabited area. Now, he's, what Mark is saying is that, what he's pointing to is that he's, he's saying that Jesus' priority is to get them away by themselves. Okay, a place where nobody is. He wants to get them away from the crowd, from the busyness of, of everything that they just did and went through, and for them to, to settle, to rest. And not only, not only get them away, but to get them away with him. Right? He's going to go with them. And Jesus knows what they need most is a time of recharging, a time of rest, to sit with him and enjoy a recharge. 
the scholar James Edwards, I quoted here, is going to say that the gathering of the disciples to Jesus means that in the midst of business and busyness, they are accountable to him alone. And the greater the demands on them, the greater their needs, their need to be alone with Jesus. Time alone with Jesus is a basic Christian need for all of us. We can't thrive without time alone with Jesus. And as a Christian, we are called to be hard workers. That's a biblical concept. We, are, we should be hard workers, but being a workaholic just simply leads us to neglecting relationships that are so vital for us in our lives, specifically our relationship with Jesus and with our loved ones, our family. So make sure that you're taking time to step out of your busy schedule and into time of fellowship with Jesus and into time of fellowship with your loved ones. However, as we see in the next few verses here, we need to be prepared for ministry even when it interrupts our rest. Okay, this is where it gets interesting. Next point, Jesus is compassionate when we need help. Point B, Jesus is compassionate when we need help. So in verse 33, we, we see that it says here, Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So apparently the crowd was not given the heads up about the disciples needing rest, right? They don't, they don't care about that. Um, how many of your problems um, wait until you're rested enough to, to handle them? You know, the crowd is still excited about the disciples, seeing them on ministry. They gather together. They, they run there on foot uh, to get to where Jesus and the disciples are headed. They actually get there ahead of them. They run around the Sea of Galilee. We don't know exactly how far they ran. We don't know the traditional spot specifically of, of where this miracle took place. But it seems like they ran, you know, a pretty good while, and they, they got there before Jesus and the disciples got there in the boat. So probably running pretty fast, too. My question is, what was the crowd rushing for? What did it seem like they were excited about? The text tells us here that they, the crowd saw them going and recognized them. And I think this is key. They had just witnessed healings and exorcisms. They had probably heard about Jesus's other miracles. Specifically, remember we talked about the woman with the bleeding issue. We talked about the, the raising of Jairus's daughter. We talked about the healing of the paralytic in front of a large crowd in Capernaum. These were all things that this crowd had probably heard about, even maybe witnessed, saw, and that they're still excited about. So when they saw Jesus and the disciples head away in the boat, we recognize them. We know who they are. We're going to go and we're going to run and get there ahead of them. Okay? So it's safe to assume that they, that they had seen, uh, seen some extraordinary things. Jesus even confirms this for us when, when it says, the text tells us that he had compassion on them because they were, like, they were like sheep without a shepherd. They didn't have a leader. They were excited about seeing more miracles and that's what they were there for. That was the crowd's intention. Now, if I were in the boat, my eyes would have rolled to the back of my head as soon as I saw the crowd, right? This is, this is the time for us as the disciples to rest. We earned this. We deserve this. We were just out. We, we just did this, this long time of ministry. We, we obeyed God. There was healings. You know, we got to share with Jesus about it. Now it's our time. We want to rest. This is for us. 
and for me personally, I've often been guilty of getting upset when my well-deserved free time is taken away from me. I know my wife can attest to that for sure. Um, how many of you guys can relate to that? Um, right? Like, I've worked all week. You know, I've, I've done everything I needed to do. All my stuff is done. Now it's time for me to relax. I was even maybe planning on getting in the Word a little bit, you know? You have, we always have really good excuses. I don't have time to deal with this person or to go and visit them. This is my time. I need to rest. I, you know, I, this is for me. Jesus, however, he doesn't get angry, doesn't roll his eyes, he doesn't mutter under his breath or even turn the boat around, go to another spot. He doesn't get out of the boat reluctantly and walk towards the crowd. Oh, man, here we go again. No, Jesus was prepared for ministry even when it interrupted his rest. Verse 34, Mark is going to give us the heart of this passage, and the text tells us, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Jesus' compassion for the crowd motivated his action towards them. That means that if we as a church, if we are serving the lost and the needy of our community with anything other than love and compassion for them, then we have the wrong intentions in serving. Okay? We need to better understand Jesus and his own love and compassion for us and use that as motivation to serve the needy of our community. All right, basically, don't forget where you came from. Let's not forget where us, where we as a church, where we have come from, where Jesus has brought us from. I don't have a slide on this one, uh, but I wrote 1 John 4.19. It says that we love because he first loved us. Love that Jesus gives to us is our fuel to love others. That's what we use as our motivation to love others. Now, throughout the Gospel of Mark, we've been focusing on this question, who is Jesus? Many of you might, might think that this, that this is a simple answer. The answer to this question might be simple. However, the closer that I look at the person of Jesus in, in the Gospel of Mark, the more I see how truly surprising he is. And in this story, Jesus knew that the crowd did not have right intentions, right? They weren't there to repent or offer their lives to him. They wanted from him, right? They wanted to see miracles. And the Gospel of John actually tells us that they wanted to... Uh, take him by force and make him king uh, to overthrow the Roman government. So they, the crowd had their own intentions, but despite knowing this, Jesus had compassion on them. And he felt the same way towards the crowd as the father of the prodigal son feels towards his son returning. Let's read Luke 15, 17 through 20. Text says this, but when he came to himself, this is speaking about the prodigal son. When he comes to himself, he said, How many of my, fa my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, 
and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, the Father in this story is a picture of God the Father and his compassion towards those who turn from their sin and return to him. And if you're here today and you haven't turned from your sin, or if you're a believer today and you're struggling in sin, if there's something in your life that you haven't been able to overcome, I ask you to see Jesus for who he really is. He is a God of compassion, so turn back to him today. He's a compassionate God. So we see that, that Jesus used his compassion to motivate his action towards the crowd. So what did he do? The text tells us what were his actions. It tells us that he began to teach them many things. So having compassion doesn't mean that you necessarily give them everything that they want, right? Jesus didn't give the crowd everything they wanted, at least not initially. Instead, he, he sat them down for hours and he taught them. He started to teach them. And remember that Jesus uh, told the disciples in the first chapter that this is why he had come out in the first place. Let's read Mark 1.38. This is right after a long night of miracles as Jesus slips away. We talked about this back in September. October, Jesus slips away early in the morning to pray, and the disciples come to him. They come to him excited. Hey, you know, we just had this long night of, of ministry. You did all these miracles. Come back to the crowd. The crowd's waiting for you. Everyone's, you know, waiting to see you. Mark one thirty-eight. Instead, he says, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Jesus came to preach and teach. About What? About himself. Why? Because he knows that this is our greatest need. Our greatest need is that we know him. That's why we're studying this gospel. That's why we're looking so closely at who is Jesus, because that is our greatest need. He makes that clear, especially in Mark. We need him. That's our greatest need. Often when we think about Jesus, we think maybe that we know everything about him already. One thing is for sure in this story Jesus didn't act how the disciples thought that he would act, and he often does the unexpected. And when the crowd, when they needed somebody to lead them, to care for them, to help them, Jesus was compassionate. He is compassionate when we need help. Our next point, Jesus is also patient when we are not. He was compassionate, but the disciples, they were impatient, right? Verse 35, the attention is going to switch from the crowd back to the disciples, and we can see that they are a little bit frustrated at how this night has turned out. This is not what they were promised. It's not what they were expecting, and it seems like that they've had enough. And honestly, it's, it's a little bit hard to argue with their reasoning here. So let's read it, verse 35. And, and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go in the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So for the third time in this text, we see the word desolate. And I don't think that the, that the disciples are simply reminding Jesus that they're in a desolate place, that they're in a secluded place. They know that Jesus knows where they are, right? They're not simply reminding him that there's no food out here. 
if we remember, Jesus had once spent 40 days in the wilderness with, with nothing to eat, with no food. He would often go away to these kinds of areas to just get away, to pray. So if anybody knows about the food problem here, it's probably Jesus, right? What the disciples are doing, actually, is they're trying to solve two problems with one solution. They want rest. Crowd is hungry. Get rid of them. Send them away. That's the solution. So that, that's what they do. They, they go up to Jesus. They, they tell him to send them away. Both problems solved. Notice also that they're not asking. This is a command in verse 36. It's not, hey, Jesus, maybe, did, did you consider that this crowd is a little bit hungry? You know, maybe, did you think about, uh, maybe we could send them over there or something like that? It's a, it's a command. It's simply send them away in verse 36. The disciples are commanding Jesus to get rid of the crowd. They're saying, they're basically saying, this teaching has gone on long enough. Jesus, now it's, it's our turn for a break. Remember, we, we just went on that long journey. Remember how successful it was? I know you want to help the crowd, but think about our needs too, Jesus. Don't forget about us. You know, we're here too. And, and really, this was our time in the first place. As followers of Jesus, um, I think it can be, it can be easy uh, to feel like we're being overlooked as well, right? And the disciples, like, like many of us here, they weren't wrong. They, they were doing good work. They were doing God's work. And they felt like they needed to be rewarded for that. And how many of us today feel like we are worn out, maybe, with serving the needs of others? And maybe you once felt like you were giving and giving and giving, but never actually receiving. Okay? If, if you've ever felt like that, like, like you're being overlooked because the needs of others are always just a little bit more pressing than your own, you can relate to the disciples here. What Jesus is asking from the disciples, what he's asking them to do, is to set their needs aside to serve the needs of the crowd. That's what he's asking them to do. And sometimes in our flesh, that can be hard for us to do. Especially when we're worn down, when we're tired. But what we can learn from the disciples here is that when we do feel worn down, when we do feel overlooked, that we need to rest in Jesus' ability to provide for us. That's where we find our rest. When we get frustrated because our needs are not met, what we're essentially saying is that we don't trust that God will provide for our needs. So then we need to take matters into our own hands. And the disciples here, they tried to take matters into their own hands, but they would eventually learn to rest in Jesus' promise to provide for all their needs. We read Philippians 4.19 earlier. I'm going to read it again. It says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Yeah, I didn't have a slide for that. My God will provide every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, this verse doesn't mean that God is a magic genie and that he's going to give us everything that we want. What it does mean is that if you are in Christ, if you're a child of God, that God promises to provide for your needs, all of your needs. Right? We, might, we might not always agree with God's timing or what he defines as a need in comparison to what we might define as a need, but we need to trust and rest in the promise of God's provision for us. That's where our rest is found. 
And the reason that we can rest in that promise is because Jesus is sufficient for whatever need we have. That's our last point. Jesus is sufficient for whatever need we have. We're looking back at our text. We're going to read that the disciples, they, they told Jesus to send the crowd away so they could get something to eat. In verse 37, Jesus responds to the disciples, you give them something to eat. To which the disciples respond, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Notice the sarcasm here. They're not being literal with Jesus. Um, I think they're being serious. Uh, they're actually what, if, if you, uh, a lot of you probably have a little note in your Bible that says um, one denarius equals one day's wage. Okay, so one denarius equals one day's wage. 200 denarii would equal 200 days of labor. So just to put that into modern perspective, that's, you're talking like three quarters of your annual salary here. So the disciples, I don't, I don't think they're being literal, and I don't think they're being serious. If you think about it, they don't even have a salary anymore. They're not working. A lot of them are fishermen, and they haven't been doing that for a while. So they don't have a salary, and they obviously don't have 200 denarii. So when Jesus responds to their command to send the crowd away with a command of his own, they seem a little flabbergasted, maybe, a little frustrated or incredulous. Um, but I don't, I don't think that Jesus is asking them to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread. And he's not asking them here to solve an impossible situation. What Jesus is doing is that he is testing their faith. He's challenging them. He knows they couldn't possibly feed the crowd, so why would he, why would he honestly ask that? What he wants is for the disciples to realize their inability to provide for the needs of the crowd and to turn to him, the only one who is able to provide for their needs. The solution to their problem is staring them right in the face. They're having a conversation with the solution, and they don't realize that. So they want to send the crowd away. They don't see it. They're not seeing Jesus as the answer. What they're failing to realize is what Paul wrote about in 2 Corinthians 12. Verses 9 through 10, Paul writes, But he said to me, Paul's talking about God, what God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The disciples, they needed to learn that they did not have an answer for this impossible situation. Only then would they turn to Jesus for his help. And we're the same way. We're the same way. How many times have you tried to rely on your own strength to get you through an impossible circumstance? Or let me be more specific. How many times have you tried to overcome sin in your life in your own strength? You are not able to overcome sin in your life, in your own strength. You, you cannot do that. You need a heart change to take place which can only be accomplished by the Holy Spirit of God when you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. And we need to stop thinking that we have the answers to possible situations that we find ourselves in. 
this kind of attitude, it's prideful, and it, it doesn't allow God to work in our lives. So stop believing that you can do that, because you can't. You can't do that. Jesus then asked them in verse 38, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. It seems that Jesus is going to have to force the disciples to be a part of this miracle. They're only able to muster up five loaves and two fish. This is a pretty pitiful amount, and it's obviously not going to be enough to feed the crowd. But it's what Jesus does with this pitiful amount that's the true miracle here. And it got me to thinking, why does Jesus ask them to bring the bread that they already have? They they couldn't possibly have enough bread to feed 5,000 men. And God surely doesn't need five loaves to make 5,000. Right? He could do that without five loaves. Remember the manna that rained down from heaven? Remember what Satan said about Jesus in the wilderness? That he could turn, he could turn the stones into bread? You remember that? He doesn't need the five loaves, so why does he ask them to bring it? I think he wanted to show the disciples what he could do with even the most pitiful amount that they could offer. Five loaves and two fish. Right? He's, he, giving a lesson to the disciples. And just to give you an idea of the crowd size, I have a picture here. It's kind of vague, but uh, this is 10,000 people. That is a tennis match, uh, 10,000 people. Now, most scholars, Mark tells us about 5,000 men, okay? And in Luke, I I think in Luke, he actually makes a note that this is besides women and children. So most scholars agree there's probably 10,000, maybe 15 Maybe, you know, a little bit more than that, even. So, that's five loaves and two fish is not doing much there. You know, that's, there's, there's, that's a ton of people. So, um, the loaves were useless in the disciples' hands, but they were not useless in Jesus' hands. I'm going to quote James Edwards again here. He says that, that God can multiply even the smallest gifts if they are made available to him. So this is, this is a picture, right, of the, the little things that, that we offer to God, that what he can multiply. When we offer ourselves what little that we are, our lives, what little, that, little impact that we could have, what can God do with those things in his hands? What can God do with your life in his hands? He can multiply. Jesus then takes the crowd and breaks them into groups of 100s and 50s, they sat down on the green grass, and he takes the five loaves and the two fish. He looks towards heaven, and he blessed the food. Jesus prayed before the miracle, and this way everyone would know who is responsible. It was Jesus under the authority of God the Father. He then breaks the bread and starts dividing it out amongst the people, and everybody served. It's interesting to see that Jesus hands the bread to the disciples, to serve the people, to serve the crowd. What they didn't want to do initially in serving, they end up doing anyway. So in a way, Jesus makes the disciples participate, but that, it doesn't negate the fact that they eventually obeyed and served the crowd. Sometimes God has to walk us step by step to the solution. All right? the, the disciples, they, they, had to, they had to be walked step by step, but they finally got there. They obeyed at the end. 
And, uh, and in this way, Jesus shows true patience, true compassion, not only to the crowd, for feeding the crowd, but also to the disciples. This is a lesson to the disciples. This whole episode is a lesson. It's a teaching moment also for the disciples. In verse 42 and 43, we see the end result of the miracle. They all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied. Now, if you're like me, I remember the, one of the first times I read about this, um, you might be looking at this miracle and saying, okay, no big deal though, right? I mean, it's just food. Jesus just raised uh, a girl from the dead, like last chapter. I think that's a little bit, a little bit more exciting at least, right? Well, if you thought that, then I might submit to you that that, that could be a little bit of our 21st century perspective, our modern day perspective. We don't really worry about food right? Not like they might have back then, not like people would have back then. Now, this was a big deal, and, and Jesus showing that he had the power to multiply something as necessary as bread would have really showed the crowd, the disciples, his power, his authority. This actually is the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels, the only one that's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So that shows how important bread was in that time. It shows how, how big this miracle actually was. And Jesus not only fed 5,000 men, 10,000, but they all ate, and they were all satisfied. Oftentimes, Jesus' miracles, they point us to larger spiritual truths. And I think that's, what, that's what's going on here. If you remember from the Gospel of John, Jesus once referred to himself as bread, he said, I am the bread of life. John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What Jesus means here is that he is sufficient for our true spiritual needs. We all have needs, whether we realize them or not. And our greatest need is highlighted in this passage. Our greatest need is our need for a Savior. See, each one of us has offended a holy God by our sin. But that God, that same God, loves us so much that He sent His Son to die, to die in our place, to pay the offense, to pay the price for our offense against God. And that by turning from our sin and believing in Jesus, we can have life. That's what he means when he says that I am the bread of life. We take from him, we eat from him, we'll never hunger again. He's sufficient, completely sufficient for our, all of our needs, and especially our one true need, our need for a Savior. That's what this miracle is pointing to. And that is that Jesus, only Jesus, can provide for our physical and our spiritual needs. So not only does Jesus call us to rest when we're worn down, not only is he compassionate when we need help, he's not only patient when our patience has run out, but he's the bread that fully satisfies all of our needs. And if, if you're here today, if you know Jesus, and you have a relationship with Jesus, you're a believer, then stop relying on yourself. If you're like the disciples, stop relying on yourself 
and recognize that Jesus is right in front of you. Recognize that He alone is the one who can fully satisfy you, can fully satisfy your needs, and then respond in turn by bringing the lost to the one that you know. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, then then I hope you heard what this message is pointing to. It's that there is hope for you. There is an answer. There is one who can fully satisfy you. There is one who came to provide for your true spiritual need, your need for a Savior. So turn from your sin and turn toward the only one who can satisfy you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just, we thank you so much, God, that um, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for this miracle. We thank you for what it points to. God, and I just pray for those that um, heard this message today, for all of us here, God, that uh, you can help us to see you more clearly each and every day as, as the one who provides, God, that you can help us to turn to you, Lord. God, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for the opportunity to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.